What's up, everybody? This is Noah Alvarez with the My Mike and I podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Want to take the time to thank everyone that's out there listening, whether you're listening on Spotify, whether you're listening on Apple. Don't forget, it's available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, all the platforms where you can get your podcast. We are there. Be sure to leave a rating and review if possible. You know, guys, I'm in my mid-20s working as hard as I can on furthering my career in this broadcasting and podcasting industry. So I'd greatly appreciate the time if you guys could leave a review, leave a rating. And if you really like the podcast, be sure to just share it with a friend. Send it over to a friend via the links. Uh, I'd greatly appreciate any support of the podcast that I can get. Do want to take the time also to thank Generic Sports for producing the instrumental in the background. Check out more of his work at soundcloud.com slash generic sports. He also posts a lot of stuff on Twitter and Instagram as well. So be sure to go check out his pages. Just search generic sports on both those social media platforms. Don't forget, we have the My Mike and I page on Instagram at my period, Mike and period I. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media too. At Instagram, you can follow me at noha underscore alvarez that's n-o-h-a underscore alvarez and then on twitter it's at underscore noah alvarez n-o-a-h so my name spelled correctly and then alvarez on twitter every now and then i'll post uh i'll post listener interaction questions and i like doing that on every every week's episode and usually i switch those up depending on what the topic of the show is kind of make it relatable to the conversation that i have with the guest on each week's show and yeah so it's a lot of fun you know it's a good way to get involved with the show so be sure to follow me and my mike and i page both on twitter and on instagram greatly appreciate also want to thank vince correa for help designing the new my mike and i logo it's uh the one you're looking at in the screen he also designed the old podfathers logo too so if you're listening to one of those older episodes in the library be sure to go check out vince correa more of his work really talented kid we're also drawing up a new my mike and i logo too that should be ready by the end of the year so big things coming for this my mike and i podcast really excited for the direction that it's ahead of now do want to take the time before we get into any listener action questions or before we get into previewing the show did want to remind you too that this podcast is available on the big heads podcast network network (laughs) which is home to great which is home to many great podcasts including the Curious Kid Podcast. Here's a commercial describing a little bit more about their show. Hello, my name is Jacob. And I'm his co-host, five-year-old Olivia. Do you have kids? And are your kids curious? If you answered yes, you should check out Curious Kid Podcast, a weekly educational podcast for curious kids and grown-ups. Every week we learn about another topic. We've already learned about spider webs, batteries, the moon, and so much more. You can find us at CuriousKidPodcast.Buzzsprout.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Boom, Noah Alvarez back in action here. Before we get into any of the listener interaction questions... Let's go over some, I want to plug some of the stuff that I do also on the side of this podcast. Uh, be sure to go follow 90.1 KBPK, that's 90.1 KBPK on YouTube. I've been broadcasting a lot of games for their channel on YouTube. We did a lot of video games with video, I've done a few soccer games with audio. Um, hopefully too, 
in the coming weeks I'm going to have enough time to put together a demo reel for both those sports and along with the high school football games that I did as well to go along with the uh, college football games that I've been able to broadcast as well this season. So be sure to stay tuned for that and keep an eye out on that YouTube page. Also go follow or go search up theballout.com. I wrote a lot of articles for them thus far. The most recent was about the rise of Joe Burrow and them Tigers. They took down Bama last Saturday, which had me stoked because I hate Alabama and I love the Tigers. So go Tigers at Orgeron. Man, he got that program going in the right direction. And uh, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. So they take over the number one spot in the college football rankings. Joe Burrow is that quarterback, and LSU fans have been desperately wanting for such a long time. But enough about LSU, because this is not an LSU podcast. This is the My Mike and I podcast. And Noah Alvarez here going to go over some of the questions from the listener interaction question of this week. And what I asked was, I put it on my Instagram, actually not my personal Instagram, but I did put it on the My Mike and I page Instagram. And I put, the question for this week was, what was your first encounter or memory with alcohol and I also shared it on Twitter and first and foremost I want to thank everybody who answered and shared their responses with me on the Instagram or on the Twitter and first one we're gonna go with Jennifer on Instagram page she said earliest memory is family parties my uncles will get drunk and give us anything from 20 to hundred dollars yes if you grew up in a Latino household you know that when your fa- when your tios and tias are drunk They'll just randomly be giving you stuff and saying stuff like, I love you and you're my favorite niece and nephew. And, you know, they probably mean it. They probably don't mean it. Probably shouldn't be saying it nonetheless. But yeah, wild things happen at uh, Mexican family parties. And sometimes you can be on the come up for some money. It's also a good time, too, to ask your tío or tío, your tía or tío, if you could spend the night, too, at your cousin's place and maybe, you know, have a little more fun that because most of the time when they're sober and eh, depending on your aunt or uncle they're gonna be uh, saying no to that one that's a good response Jennifer thank you for the response next one Nick Koenigke he's a former KSSU sports director too he answered to the Instagram page at this point I barely remember due to the quantity <laughs> I guess a lot of people can relate to that one good answer Nick appreciate your response on the Instagram the next one is by story by King King actually was a uh, he was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago. Be sure to go check out that older episode of the My Mike and I podcast. He responded with getting drunk at the beach and egging people around Long Beach, LOL, in high school. Man, King, we had like a very similar childhood in high school too. Me and my friends, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily be drinking, but we would eh, go out and smoke every now and then. And we would, uh, we would egg people, yes. We'd egg cars, yes. And we would also... Uh, we also did this thing, one of my homies, he had, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, but he had paintball guns, and we'd actually take those paintball guns and shoot out at people walking on the streets or at cars, so yeah, definitely regret that, hopefully uh, no FBI agent or something listening, if they did, I'm gonna edit this part out. <clears throat> um, nonetheless, next question or next response is from Max Jacobs 91 on Instagram, he responded, it's a four-parter because <laughs> I guess there's a character limit or number of letter limit on how much you can respond in one of those Instagram responses he responded with Las Vegas I was 15 years old and took enough Jaeger shots to likely to likely kill a small horse uh, I was in an Astro van with eight guys including a 6'8 Native American man named Byron who would later be arrested it was rough comma but I still feel the best way to start is a four-day binge in your team's T 
teens with a group of savages. Really good story, Max. I've been to Vegas too, not when I was 15. I actually waited till I was 21 to go to Vegas and had a pretty good experience there, but that does sound like one hell of a first-time experience with, uh, with alcohol. That's a good one. Thank you, Max. This next one is by another Max. He on Instagram is MaxFar1S as he responded, vodka, threw up and got a scar from it. Yeah, vodka, man, that's, uh, vodka was like a big high school drink, right? I think everyone in high school drank vodka, mainly because it was cheap, and then as you get older, you kind of realize, eh, I'm not a big fan of vodka, so thanks, Max. There's also, Max is a few, he appears on a, a few times on different shows here at the My Mike and I podcast. Be sure to go check out those. He talks about how to, you know, profit and invest in sports cards. I really like that episode, so be sure to go check out that one. He's also in the NFL Draft Preview, uh, the NFL Mock Draft that we did with Joseph, and the NFL Draft Recap episode we did a while back in the summer, too. So be sure to go check out all three of those episodes featuring Max. And the last one from Instagram, Big Booth. He he responded to the question, a flat corona is his earliest memory. Uh, You know, I, I can't say I relate to that one, but corona does hit the spot a lot of times for me. I'm not a huge drinker, especially beer, but I do enjoy a good Corona every now and then. Now over to the Twitter responses, and as you recall, my Twitter at is at underscore Noah Alvarez. Be sure to give me a follow. Alexis O'Neill Art, very talented artist out of Pico Rivera. She was on the uh, Big Mouth Review podcast that we did a few weeks back. Go check out that one. She says, one of my first memories with alcohol was being caught holding a beer can in a photo by the school. So I called my dad, all nervous and crying to confess. They ratted me out, and all he said back was, babe, don't drink beer out of a can, drink it out of a bottle. That's, <laughs> that's actually a really good one, Alexis. I, you know, what, a, what advice there by your dad. Um, that's pretty cool, though. I like that, I like that story. That's a good piece of advice. Uh, that's interesting to say, because maybe if I, I... The funny thing is, like, if I ever catch my uh, kid drinking, I might have to use that quote. That's in the far future, though. I don't have any kids clarifying that out and then the last one the last response on twitter was by mr underscore cw bullock that's chris bullock an editor for the ball out uh, also a sac state homie my first memory when i was six my stepfather and his friends were watching monday night football and i wanted to watch too he gave me a sip of miller light it was mucho terrible yes miller light eh. yeah it's an acquired taste it's another light beer pretty flat if you're into like the Bud Lights, the Corona Lights, it's very different than those. But that's a good story too, Mr. Um, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Christopher Bullock. I uh, appreciate your response on that one too. I remember being younger and watching my kids, or not my kids, my parents. And not so much my parents, my dad or my uncles or my grandparents and tios and tias drinking around watching sports. And I always thought, you know, that was like kind of a normal thing to do. It's pretty prevalent in a Hispanic household. Really quick before we get into this week's show. Did want to share my first experience with alcohol. Um, so, you know, it was always around the house and it was always around the family parties, but I actually didn't try it till I was in high school. And I was actually a senior in high school, so I was 17 at the time. And I went to my first high school party, yes. I know some of you are like, well, you didn't go to high school parties earlier. No, I didn't really stay out of the party team. My parents really didn't let me out too much. They're actually very strict and I didn't. I was really uh, conformative. I didn't really uh, rebel that much in high school. And so I went to a high school party with uh, a few guys from the football team and one guy from the basketball team. And we're at this party. It was uh, I went to high school at Villa Park, and it was actually an El Medina high school party, which is just down the road from Villa Park. And so we went to there. Didn't really know too many people, but we had a good time. 
And the first thing I remember is that we played shot pong, and that was my first time ever drinking, so we poured vodka in those little red solo cups. And I remember, you know, we won the first game, but by the second game, I was pretty buzzed after taking that many shots of the, you know, losing and, and whenever they would make a cup. So man, me and my, you know, me and my homies, and we came in a group of five, but believe it or not, our designated driver actually was drinking on that night playing shot pong with us. So right away, I was kind of in trouble and like me being, you know, only 17, really didn't know what to do. There wasn't, there was no Uber or Lyft at the time either, believe it or not, too. I know that's very convenient nowadays. And so I didn't want to go home with uh, someone who had been drinking. <clears throat> and so I remember I, I basically came to a conclusion and there was a lot of stuff I drank more during the night and I smoked a little bit too. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I can't say it wasn't fun, but I remember towards the end of the night, I was like, man, I got to get home. I, I think I got to call my parents because I don't trust my friend who had been drinking uh, to go and drive me home. You know, even if it was just down the street, just didn't want to risk it because you see all the commercials and your parents tell the story. So I'm just like, Nah, I can make a, I want to make a, a smart decision. So here I am like trying to get the courage to call or text my parents and it's already past midnight and I'm just like, I get a cup of water, a red solo cup, and I'm just, ch I probably chug like eight waters down in like a span of an hour and a half just so I could sober up as quickly as possible. And I want to say around one, maybe after one, I have the courage to call my mom because I know she's the, the lighter sleeper of like my two parents say hey mom like you know I, I went to this party there's been drinking but I, I need to ride home and sure enough my dad came and got me but I remember just you know like walking away from the neighborhood and, and meeting my dad at the corner of a, a main street and he picked me up and you know it was kind of like a it was a weird experience because I tried not to um I tried like at that time too my parents didn't know I drank so I just said you know I, like that's why I really drank those eight cups of water and took like five trips to the restroom before I left is because I try to sober up as much as possible and whatnot. But looking back on it, it was kind of a funny experience. I'm glad everyone got home safe and nothing bad happened. But yeah, that's my first experience with alcohol. And the reason why that was the listener interaction question for this week's show, well, is because on this week, my guest, his name is Tony. He's a family relative of mine. And he basically goes into detail and in very great detail about his journey with alcohol. And like I said, alcohol is very prevalent in Latino households. And he actually, uh, you know, grew up drinking from a, a very young age. And he talks about his journey and how it affected his work, how it affected his sports, how it affected his relationships, not just love relationships, but with his friend, with his family as well, and his parents, and with his kids eventually too down the road. And he basically, it's a journey to recovery. He found AA, and I don't want to give too much of this story out, but it's a really great story. I know we have a lot of different topics here on the My Mike and I podcast, but it's truly one of my favorites because it is, it's very prevalent in my family and I have a few other people in my family that are going through a similar journey and trying to recover. I know me being affected in my household specifically. It's a, it's a thing that hits home a lot more too. So without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation with Tony and I. Well, as always, I'd like to thank all my guests for hopping on the show and sharing their stories. And just go ahead and start from the beginning. Your first experience with alcohol, I know it's a sensitive topic, but just tell me from the beginning, what was your first experience like? Well, first of all, I want to introduce myself. My name is Tony. I am an alcoholic. And I want to share my experience from my earliest recollection uh, to basically life, you know, the life journey that's brought me to this point where I am now. 
Um, starting off, uh, my earliest recollection of what's called of um, alcohol was that I grew up, uh, just to give you a little bit of a background, I grew up with an alcoholic father. Um, my, um, all my family members, or her, his family members, uh, all drank. Uh, my grandfather drank. Um, so it was normal uh, to have alcohol in the household. And uh, growing up in that environment, uh, it, to a certain extent, we didn't know any better. Uh, going up through my early uh, teens, um, like I said, it was, you know, my mom was always there at the house, so she was a homemaker. And um, my father was always working, and when he wasn't working, he was at home, and when he, and, but I always saw him with a, with a beer, a can of beer, what's called in his hand. So that's my earliest recollection of alcohol in itself. My earliest experience of dealing with alcohol uh, was, I believe I was 12 or 13 years old, the first time I ever got drunk. And it was with uh, other family members, what's called cousins and what have you, that, uh, that we sat down and what's called that and we started drinking because it, 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 there was a, it seemed like there was a party or an event or a birthday uh, for every single weekend. So there was always alcohol, there was always festivities around. And it wasn't uncommon for us to sneak a beer or two away from mm-hmm. the grown-ups once they were intoxicated and drink it on the side, you know? And that was, that, again, that was normal for us. We, that's what we saw, and again, that's what we considered normal and acceptance behavior. And growing up, what's called, like I said, uh, from my earliest recollection, I remember what's called the first time I got drunk. I remember the feeling of being in what's called intoxicated, and I remember the feeling of just everything being what's called just going round and round in circles. And then I remember the feeling the next day of being sick. You know? ah. <laughs> yeah, so so even then, what's called, I remember that feeling, what's called of being hungover for the first time. Uh, my poor mom, you know, she thought I was, uh, when I mentioned to her that I was sick, she thought I was uh, really sick. I remember she gave me some Alka-Seltzer tablets, which I drank with 7-Up because the cure-all for, for that was 7-Up, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember throwing up, what's <laughs> called. So, so yeah, so needless to say, that was, that was my first recollection, what's called, of ever getting drunk, uh, what's called then also my first hangover, you could say, or first time getting sick also. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there, you know, going through, you know, up until that point, um, I was always involved in sports, always did the Little League, always, what's called, you know, always kept busy. And elementary school-wise, as far as uh, academically, I'm straight-A student. Uh, junior high school, straight-A student. Uh, what's called, always, always sat on the principal honors list. And then, what's called, I discovered or I went to high school and I discovered alcohol and girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, needless to say, that took me on a different path. You know, whereas before I was a straight A student, never gotten a B in my life prior to that. Wow. I remember what's called the first year in high school. It was a little bit of a somewhat of a disaster because of the fact that, it was, that I discovered alcohol and uh, friends and, you know, and what's, so forth and so on. And um, going through my freshman year of high school, what I discovered that alcohol, especially when girls, it made me, um, whereas before I was insecure, where before I was, I didn't feel I was, my self-esteem was low, whereas mm-hmm. before I felt I didn't fit in mm-hmm. with alcohol, it erased all that, mm-hmm. you know? It erased it to the point what's called where, you know, it, it, I, we, we drank to be accepted by our peers. Mm-hmm. And the crowd that we ran with, what's called in, in uh, high school, needless to say, was, a crowd that was called was not you know strong academically and or what's called the sports wise and everything else, and we started what's called again you know doing that as far as to fit in more so than anything, um, and again at home what's called it was the same what's called a, a, a lifestyle in the sense that 
uh, we, what's called, you know, again, we're surrounded by alcohol. Again, everybody drank. That was, again, you know, it was not uncommon for, again, for me to see that every single day. So us being part of that also, again, was not uncommon, you know. Um, so going through what's called the first couple of years of high school, what's called, you know, um, I, academically, I started slipping. Uh, what's called, I, I started getting accepted more by, you know, girls mm. and what's called with the, with the cool kids in the yeah. crowd in high school. Uh, but needs to say what's called, like I said, you know, I wasn't uh, measuring up to what I needed to do. And as far as sports were concerned, well, something had to give. And I set sports aside, what's called more so for fitting in and hanging out with girls and, and being part of the crowd. And um, that continued for the first couple of years, what's called the, of a high school, uh, up until what's called, you know, it got into a little bit of trouble, uh, you know, as juvenile, um, you know, and because we had to, we had to uh, obviously what's called make up for uh, our habit of drinking alcohol mm-hmm. by other means necessary, such as shoplifting or such as, you know, oh, yeah. things that what's called that normally what's called the average kid wouldn't do. Yeah. But again, this was normal to us because this is what we grew up around. Mm-hmm. My recollection also what's called of, of, um, of, of, of school in, in that sense at, at that period of time we really didn't have any what's called mental. Uh, I'm sorry, no no uh, guidance by by our mentor per se. Uh, we were basically our, our parents were. With my my father was busy. What's called putting food on the table. My mom was busy with my four other siblings, and I myself. What's called was left to basically run amok. Mm-hmm. And as long as I left, what's called to go to school in the morning, and I got home at a reasonable hour, everything was okay. Yeah. You know, and I was pretty good also about. Hiding um, uh, the mail from my mom, uh, so that way she can never see the grades. (laughs) I'm pretty sure, you know, other people have done that, but I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, we used to do that. Uh, And another, and one thing that I am somewhat embarrassed to state, but you know, what we used to do back in our freshman and and sophomore years in high school, because again, we didn't have a job. Our parents were barely able to put food on the table. Yes, we supplemented a little bit of our income by doing a little shoplifting and what have you. But at the end of the day, uh, what we ended up doing, though, was we ended up rationing. And the way we ended up rationing is that we would save our lunch money for two or three days, okay? Mm. And on Wednesday or Thursday, depending upon how much money we accumulated, we were able to walk over to the liquor store at 15 years of age wow. and buy what's called either bottle whiskey or buy what's called um, uh, a liquor of uh, 99 for ninety nine cents, um, and and what because that, that, that's the mall liquor was the one that gave us the greatest effect for our dollar. Oh, okay. So my poor mom, I remember she used to sacrifice and give us a dollar, a dollar twenty five every single day, and unbeknownst to her, of course, what's called we would turn around and and spend that money on alcohol. They didn't ID you at all at the liquor store. No, well, you, you always you at, at the at the store you would always find you would always hang out outside and always ask somebody to what's called mm. you know to do you that favor. And there was never a person that was, that was what's called, because most guys uh, that were of age, what's called, they knew what we were going through, and they probably had gone that, through that <laughs> process before also. Yeah. So they, yeah, most, we, didn't have, we never had a problem finding somebody to buy us alcohol, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it, it was what's called, like I said, I look back on it, and I, you know, the sacrifices that my mom made to save us lunch money, because it was five of us in the house, five kids. And for us to turn around and just spend it on alcohol and, and whiskey back then. Because, again, whiskey was also the greatest effect yeah. for the dollar. So that's what, you know, freshman and sophomore years in high school, that's that's kind of what we did, you know. And, again, what's called, you know, academically suffered, what's called, you know, sports-wise, set that to the side and, you know, just uh, 
yeah, just that, that was that was our routine, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, our junior and uh, and senior year in high school, by that time, what's called we were also uh, started working on during the I started working during the summer, so I was able to accumulate a bit of cash, mm-hmm. and also was able to start what's called going ahead and um, you know do little side jobs or work part time also. Uh, and but it was the same thing over again, you know. I did get involved more in sports, but also the alcoholism grew more because now what's called we were what's called the getting more into the in crowd, especially at what's called the, the peer pressure. And again, for the, the want of just having to want to fit into it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, that that really what's called was the catalyst or the, the driving force behind what's called, you know, drinking. Because if you didn't drink, it was every kind of outcast at you yeah. back then. Yeah. So again, peer pressure is, is, is strong. When you went back to sports, did you feel like yourself kind of slowed down after, you know, the freshman and sophomore year of drinking? Yes, yes, absolutely. What's called, you know, I look back and so when it comes to sports, you know, and because uh, I, I lettered in varsity in uh, um, in cross country and also in wrestling. And that was my my junior and my senior year in high school. So even though I was out, what's called, like I said, you know, partying and everything else, I was only showing up to class just to be eligible for Mm-hmm. For for sports, you mm-hmm. know, at that at that time, I don't know what the situation is now, but at that time, you, as long as you carried a two point uh, average, and again, notice I say the word average, <laughs> then you were eligible. Right. You know, so I made sure that even though on some of the classes I never showed up and I got an F, on some classes the easy ones I make sure I got an A, and average wise, that's that's a C. Yeah, and that's that's passing. So needless to say, what's called we played that game also, and and when our sport was out of season, we just didn't show up to class. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I'm not embarrassed to say it, but you know, I, I graduated high school with a 2.0, and the only reason why I graduated high school with a 2.0 was because of the fact that what's called I had to go back to summer school after I graduated to be able to get an, uh, what's called the the last remaining credits to be able to get my my diploma. Mm. So, yeah. So needless to say, like I said, it was it was somewhat of a journey through high school. And looking back in those years. You know, I, I wish I would have applied myself more academically mm-hmm. because that's what's called in high school and then in college, you're laying down the foundation for the rest of your life when it comes to professionally, if you're going to explore doing certain type of work or what have you. Uh, but needless to say, those were pretty much lost years, you mm-hmm. know, looking back on it. Um, and I do see uh, keep in touch what's called with some of my friends that what's called that we went to the Marine Corps with, and we'll get to that part right now. Uh, from high school, but aside from that, I really don't, you know, like I said, don't really interact with anybody from high school yeah. or haven't interacted with anybody from high school in 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, like I said, I don't blame them if what's called it, because the recollection that most people have of me was, of course, that we were always drunk. We were yeah. always drinking. We were always, you know, I, mean, I, I can go on with stories, stories, or stories of how we, you know, the, the chaos that we did, the what's called the, the disasters we created, the relationships that we broke. All that stuff, and 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 all that happened through high school, was just what's called you know a preview of what was going to happen for the rest of the years of my life. Mm-hmm. Because looking back on it, what's called you know in, in high school, we just consider ourselves unlucky. Yeah. Well, you know, when that negative effect on upon you uh, or the reaction or or the consequence of you drinking happens over and over and over again, it's not luck. It's that you are doing a certain right. action. And needless to say, now there's a certain reaction to it. I mean, it never fails. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, what's called that's kind of you know what we did through high school, um, you know. And again, what's called you know it was a lost opportunity academically and sports wise also. I mean, I wish I what's called um, looking back on it, um, you know, maybe apply myself a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know. But again, uh, do I 
do I regret it? What's called it? no, because again, what's called that kind of opened my eyes. Looking back on it, I'm able to reflect on what's called the you know what how life really played out and how everything kind of laid the foundation for the point of my at, at this point in time in my life. Mm-hmm. Did um, your did your parents ever catch on at all, or did you ever come home drunk and your parents were there and say anything? You, you know what? That that's a that's a very good question. Not until my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. Then my mom started catching on, and there was two events. I remember one time, uh, because what we used to do, I was like, again, I was not the perfect son, and um, uh, we would sneak out at night, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't uncommon for us to get together with buddies and you know, with other uh, what's called people, and you know, at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Now, now, now this is during the school night. Mm-hmm. This is during school, you know. And go hang out until four or five o'clock in the morning, you know. And there wasn't in common for what's called the way we would sneak out is just sneak out very quietly. And the way back in is sneak in through your bedroom window. And you know, I remember one time I'm, I'm coming in through the bedroom window and I'm halfway in and my mom turns on the light. And me being what's called the victim that I am, of course, uh, what's called I get upset at her because why does she lock the front door? <laughs> Setting aside the fact yeah. that I should have been out in the first place on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, mm-hmm. you know. But my mom, dad, Van, and then another time that was called a, uh, right before, um, uh, I remember the prom, uh, me and my buddies were at a ditching party, and uh, needless to say, what's called, we had a little too much to drink. I, I'm sorry, I had too much to drink, mm-hmm. drinking hard uh, liquor, and um, what's called, a, I think it was vodka, uh, and I, what's called, a, I finished a whole liter by myself, and needless to say, I was drunk beyond, you know, being able to walk. And I remember what's called them doing the old routine where, you know, they take me to the front door, they knock on the door, and they run. Uh-huh. Yeah. So needless to say, my mom opened the what's called door. She let me in. I went to my bedroom. I Next morning, I remember waking up, throw up. My whole uh, what's called bedroom was full of throw up. Wow. Yeah. You know, so my mom knew at that point something yeah. was up, yeah. you know. Uh, but, but like I said, you know, but how, you know, looking back on it, my mom did the best she could. She was always there for us, but it was my father, being the alcoholic that he was also, he always put everything upon my mom for, for her to discipline us. But my mom, what's called the, not only with myself, but also with my brother, she was, it was way too much for her to handle. Mm-hmm. And I was not necessarily, I was, at this point I was rebelling. I didn't want to follow authority. I was very, very undisciplined in all aspects of my life. And looking back on it, like I said, you know, it was something that, uh, you know, I, I I do. There, I have to, a couple of regrets in my life, and you know, a real that I wish I could change. And one of them was, you know, obviously the way I treated my mom, mm-hmm. uh, because she didn't deserve the way I I treated her. What's called coming up, because she always wanted the best for me, and the best for us. And, and, and you know, I didn't just. I was just too young and, and stupid at that point to realize, you know, what what she what she how she cared about us. Um, but yeah, that, that was a you know again. She that's when she started having an inkling of the fact that what's going. Hey, maybe maybe these guys are drinking a little too much. Yeah, you know. But my dad was always again intoxicated, so it wasn't it wasn't like mm. my father could dictate don't drink when what we saw was him drinking all the time. Right. You know. There's no example to go by. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So th- that's you know and up to the years of high school. So. When I graduated high school, I knew that I never was going to go to college. And the reason why I made that decision was because at that point in time, I had um, my senior high school before I graduation, I knew that community college or university, well, first of all, I didn't have the grades to go to begin with, mm-hmm. but what's called also, I had been to uh, what's called university and college parties as a senior in high school. 
So I saw the, the effect of alcohol is what's called in, in that environment also. It was no different than high school. It's just it was better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And needless to say, what's called, like, I, I thought to myself, you know, if I go to university or college, at that point in time, I knew it was going to be a waste of time and a waste of money because all I was going to do was party. Yeah. And, um, and so I decided to do the next best, best thing for me, and so I joined the Marine Corps, you mm-hmm. know, because I wanted to get discipline installed, you yeah. know? Um, I went uh, three and four months after I graduated from high school, I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, what's called, I served four years. And serving in the Marine Corps, what's called, um, I was stationed out here in uh, what's called the Camp uh, Del Mar, which is outside of Camp Pendleton, and then also Miramar. Um, but looking back on it, what's called, the, it was a, I, I joined the Marine Corps to have some discipline instilled in me. Yeah. Looking back on it, they instilled the discipline, or I, what's called, took the discipline of learning how to drink even more wow. in the Marine Corps. Wow, yeah. So it was kind of counter what's uh, productive mm-hmm. in regards to the reasons why it went because everybody in the Marine Corps at least the people that I hang with drank and drank even more than in high school mm-hmm. and in the Marine Corps base the drinking age was 18 years of age so you know we didn't have to ask people alcohol is always readily available to us mm-hmm. um so I served what's called a couple years active duty in the Marine Corps up until the age of 20 and then I did my other two years as a reservist uh, and at that point, I came home also and started working and what have you. Um, but at that time also, I was never able to keep a job longer than 30 days. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I was always intoxicated. I was always, um, and you know, getting what's called partying Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, we were at a party because we had to cure our hangovers. And, of course, I spilled it into Monday and Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a week-long thing. And it wasn't, again, it was common for all of us, and I'm talking friends and family members, to, um, to, for us to what's called to, to have that schedule because that's all we knew. Mm-hmm. We didn't know any better. Um, at the age of 20, uh, 21, um, I met my first wife. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point in time, what's called, you know, I was 21 years of age, um, what's called, um, she, what's called, um, uh, got pregnant, and then we, what's called, had a child. Uh, I was 22 years of age when I had uh, my son. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, what's called, um, because we met, and we met, what's called, you know, uh, at, a, at a party, and obviously we were partying together and what have you. But when she got pregnant and had our son, she stopped partying, I did it. I kept mm. right on going. Yeah, it wasn't until the age of twenty-two that I got my first real job, uh, where I was committed to working and doing something different. But I always fell back, always, always to the same cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cycle was, well, of course, once I it was what's called drink on a weekend. Uh, but I've always what's I'm defined as being what's called a binge drinker. Mm-hmm. A binge drinker is somebody that will start drinking, not stop after a couple, and will keep right on going until in, until the wheels fall off, yeah. in essence. Yeah. And um, I was, I like to think I was great at that. Uh, looking back on it, I was a disaster, of mm-hmm. course. Um, so, and it wasn't uncommon for us to start on Thursday at happy hour and keep right on going for Friday, Saturday, and again, Sunday, what's called wake up, 
go to brunch because champagne, all you can drink. Yeah. <laughs> Keep right on drinking. Yeah. And then they, uh, we would always overshoot the mark and always what's called, you know, end up just getting drunk again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the same cycle that I had over and over again. Around that same time, that something else came into my life that was called that we needed to, that, that was a very big factor for the rest of the 15, 20 years that, that I drank. And that was what's called, you know, also um, drugs that were able to balance out the alcohol. Mm, that's right, like the hangovers? Yeah, well, you take certain what's called, the, you know, drugs. With alcohol, you're able to balance it so you don't get hangovers and what's called you keep right on party. Mm-hmm. And needless to say, what's called we did that or I did that for countless years. But that's that was really the, the time where we really what's called, you know, started what's called the doing that. And I discovered that if I, as long as I kept a certain balance, I was able to keep drinking longer. Mm-hmm. So, so looking back on it, the, 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 just the, the effects and or what's called the, the mindset that we have that, hey, we're not going to stop drinking. We're going to get it a little bit under control. How, and looking back on it, it's, it's idiotic. How, by introducing more drugs yeah. that will balance this over here so we can keep on doing this, mm-hmm. you know? And needless to say, what's called that was um, uh, that, that that came. What's called take us down a different spiral. What's called uh, out of control. But circling back to the alcohol aspect of it, the alcohol. What's called the the cycles that we're going through is that, again, Thursday through Saturday, drink, get drunk, what have you, and then what's called the once uh, once that cured over, promise what's called my significant other that I would never drink again, and then we have what's called go a week, two weeks, three weeks, and then do it all over again. Mm. And, and then it happened over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. To the point that um, I was married for five years in the first relationship, uh, I must admit it was called I was not the greatest father. I definitely was not a good husband. Um, and but, but me being, I justified it by the fact that as long as I was going to work and I was providing what's mm-hmm. called the monies for the household, I always what's called justified it that way mm-hmm. because that's what I saw growing up. My father was an excellent provider in the sense that there was what's called the always he was always working and he, we never even though there was five five of us, we always had what we needed. Uh, we didn't live in luxury, but we never went with. Out. Yeah, um, but again, my father was a functioning alcoholic, and even though I swore from an early age that what's called that that I would never what's called follow the footsteps of my father, I did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, looking back on it, also at that stage, what's called looking back on uh, what's called because my father played a big role um, in how everything kind of played out, in a sense because. My father, what's called, uh, was a, again, was a, if I can describe him, alcoholic, uh, what's called, he did the best he could with the way he was raised. Mm-hmm. And looking, I don't fault him at all in any way, shape, or form, uh, just because, again, he did provide, he provided for us, and in his own unique way, uh, he, I knew that he loved us. Mm-hmm. He practiced tough love, of course. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't, up until that point of 21, 24 years, 25 years of age, I don't think what's called he ever told us that he loved us or never told us that what's called a good job or anything like that. It was always, you know, um, you guys are not good enough. Yeah. <clears throat> you guys, you what's called, if you, uh, you guys are what's called uh, always, uh, you know, uh, need to do better. 
and so forth and so on. So and and, and going to school as far as college university would never was never instilled in us. That was not talked about uh-huh. because my father never went to college, never went to university, mm-hmm. nor my mother. So needless to say, we had to kind of figure things out as it kind of went along. But again, well, we we only reacted to what we saw in front of us. Mm-hmm. There was not there was no other example, you know. Um, being married for five years and going through my son, it's um, uh, going through that process with my son. Uh, I try to do the best I can. Um, looking back on it, what's called again, I could have been a better father, mm-hmm. better husband. Um, and but looking back on it, what's called like I said, my ex spouse did the best she could in trying to get me better and what have you. Um, I realized I did have a little bit more of a serious problem than the, than the normal person. I think when I was 22, 23, when we made the determination to for me to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. And I remember her taking me, dropping me off, um, and what's called, supposed to be like a, a one-month program, and I lasted, I believe it was two days. Oh, wow. Know? Yeah, because all I did was get sober in there, and then once I got sober in there, I just I wanted to get out. Yeah, you know, and I promised her a course at that time for one of the thousandth time that I would I promised her that I wouldn't I would quit drinking, I wouldn't happen again, and mm-hmm. I don't think I went thirty days longer before I, I was back to the same cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, so looking back on that, like I said, you know, I, I, at that point I realized, okay, maybe, maybe I do have a little bit of a problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. maybe. You know, because I wasn't fully convinced, okay. you know. And uh, that that relationship lasted until the 25. Uh, and again, looking back on it, what's called, I, I'm surprised it lasted five years, you know, because right. no person should have to go through living with an alcoholic that's verbally abusive. That's what's called abusive and what's called, in, um, not never physical, but always what's called the negative, uh, you know, trying to lower self-esteem, manipulating, what have you. Because these are what things that I did to try to maintain control over the situation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and what's called, the, and an alcoholic is always gonna be uh, a victim, an alcoholic is gonna be a master, most of the time is gonna be a master manipulator, and how what's called, and always gonna play the victim card. Always, 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 always. Because again, you guys don't understand us. <laughs> you people that don't drink don't understand us. Yeah. We're the victims. Well, you know, looking back on it, we're our own victims, you know? We, mm-hmm. we're, we're, the, we're the ones that what's called, um, that dictate what's called what we do and we don't do. Um, so needless to say, like I said, growing up at, at the, up until the age of 25, um, you know, uh, at the, after five years, she decided to, she had enough and she went on her own separate way, you know. Mm. And at that point, what's called, I swore that what's called, that I would better myself and I swore that what's called, I was going to do better, not necessarily because of her, uh, but because my son and because of the fact that I knew I could do better. Mm-hmm. Um at the age of 26, um, at that point, what's called, I'm, you know, like a typical, what's called the Mexican, uh, uh, what's called household, they moved back there with my parents, yeah. slept on the couch for, you know, like, oh my God, I think four or five years. Dang. And I tried to, what's called, and I, and I did get better in a sense that I started what's called, you know, exploring what's called, what are the things I could do in regards to professionally, and also what's called, what I can do as far as what's called bettering myself and uh, academically, mm-hmm. and and I didn't go back to college or didn't go back to university, but I, there was a there was a growth stage within those three four years uh, where I just dedicated myself, committed myself to just focusing on what's called um, bettering myself through reading, through what's called the self help groups and what have you, and that was my, probably my my 
best years growth-wise personally mm -hmm. because I was able to focus on just myself. Now, that doesn't mean alcohol didn't play a part because even though what's called I was focusing on myself, I was focusing on all the things except for alcohol. Because see, again, mm. alcohol was not the problem. Yeah. But the problem was my ex-spouse that didn't understand me. My problem was all of the people that didn't understand me. I, I played the victim card and I played it well. And looking back on it, what's called, you know, again, you know, uh, I was, you know, again, I did the best I could in regards to that. But looking, again, what's called, the, that was one of the things that definitely laid a little bit of the foundation for what, for where we at are right now. Mm -hmm. um, slowly, what's called, I uh, started going more and more back into the drinking aspect of it and what have you. Uh, now, keep in mind, um, throughout all my life, up until that age, I had never gone realistically more than a month without mm -hmm. drinking. You know, I think um, it wasn't until later on that it was called that I stopped drinking for six months, and that was a, that had been the longest ever stopped in, in my life. Mm -hmm. But up until that point, at, at the age of 20, 28, I'm sorry, 26, 28, uh, 30 years of age, um, yeah, never went more than 30 days without drinking. Mm -hmm. It was, again, because it was so common, and that, that's just what we did. Right. You know? Going through that stage then, um, we looked at also, at that point, you know, trying to do different things as far as professionally and what have you. Um, my father, what's called, you know, I was very fortunate that he had his own business and I was able to get involved in the business. Mm -hmm. And But again, now that what also did was also I, I had da daily interactions with my father. And mind you, up until that point, him and I never had a, <clears throat> a relationship him and I never had a relationship that we can call, you know, one of, of love or one of um, <clears throat> of mutual respect. It was always what's called, you know, we were looking down. He was always looking down on me. And, and, and looking, again, looking back, he had every right to do in regards to it. I was never fulfilling my potential. And always resented him for the fact that he always drank and always resented him for the fact that he what's called the direction that he led us. Um, but again, he did the best he could looking back on it. Mm -hmm. We started working together, and what's called it was it was it was a constant, uh, you know, um, how can I say this? It was a constant uh, point of where we both were going ahead, and, and in our addiction, uh, both of us are alcoholics in our addiction, and transacting what's called every single day, or what's called interacting and what have you. Needless to say, business was not what's called where it needed to be. But again, what's called when you have two people that are intoxicated running a business at all hours of the day, well, the business is not going to go how you want it to go. Right. It wasn't uncommon for us during the normal course of business hours to start drinking in the morning, wow. okay? Now, mm -hmm. I'm not talking 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and keep drinking up until the day, up until the time that we closed, you know, the business hours, which is typically 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. So mind you, again, we're, we're running a business where we're, all our focus is is how much are we drinking during the day? Do we have enough money to go get that next six-pack or 12-pack or 18-pack and making sure that what's called that we both continue having our, our buzz for the rest of the day? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously what's called, you know, um, we did that for a number of years, number of years, and again, what's called that we, and we never were able to get off the ground uh, business-wise or personally. Mm -hmm. And but again, alcohol again played a huge part in it because again we weren't able to you know um, set it aside. We we didn't view that as alcohol being the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
my early 30s, um, I was able to um, go ahead and what's called get also get focused a little bit. And at that, that time also was when I met my, my current wife. At that time, what's called, um, I presented myself uh, because believe it or not, I, I do clean up very well. Uh, mm-hmm. So she caught me in a moment where I wasn't drinking, I wasn't hungover. And again, what's called, I was very personable and and, and before she knew it, uh, who I really was, because I had a lot of skeletons in my closet, I was able to um, uh, get her, uh, what's called the hooker, hook, line, and sinker, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, and what's called, I was able to have a, after a, court, uh, a short courtship, we got married yeah, after six months. Wow. And uh, looking back on it, again, you know, I like to always look, uh, say, state that word, looking back on it, what's called, if she knew what she was getting involved with, she probably would have ran the other way as quickly as possible. <laughs> You know, and uh, but probably, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to my in my life because um, she came on board and she came from a completely different background. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, at that time, she what's called a, was a single mother. She was um, my daughter, who's who at that time was six years old, um, who was my stepdaughter, who later on I adopted. Uh, she was six years old. <clears throat> But they came from a family that there wasn't really an alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came from a, a normal family, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it wasn't that what's called she was, um, it wasn't what's called, she, she didn't have alcoholism around her. She didn't have what's called people or drugs around her. She was university educated. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had a different perspective in life all the way around. What she saw in me, I have no idea. Okay, um, and, but what she what she brought, uh, was she, she was something that I was always looking for in a sense that, you know, she she what's called number one helped bridge the gap between myself and my and my family, my father and my mother specifically, uh, because they fell in love with her, mm-hmm. and she also brought a certain discipline that I've always been looking for um, and lacking. And third, and most importantly, they, they brought a, a certain, what's called love, that I had never had before. Mm. See, my mom always, what's called, did the best she could, mm. okay? But she had a tough childhood also. And my mom, what's called, a, a, what's called, was not your normal huggy and kissy person either, you know? But again, she always, what's called, you always worried about us, was always there for us, and what have you. Mm. My father was definitely not the, again, what's called the huggy and kissy type, uh, what's called, he always practiced tough love. But when I met my daughter and I met my wife, um, especially my daughter, <clears throat> she brought unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, um, really, what's called, had not, aside from my son, had never seen any, any unconditional love from another person outside of my immediate family. Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, my son and uh, and the way she, what's called, that no matter what I did or how I presented myself or what have you. She always brought that to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was awkward at first because, you know, when somebody runs up to you and tells you they love you and gives you a big old hug, at that time, you know, I, I, I didn't come up from a... Right, you're not used to it. Of course we're not used to it, you know. And when I used to get a hug, you know, it used to be like a, a piece of cardboard because, again, we're not used to, we're like, why is this person hugging me and can you get him <laughs> So... Needless to say, what's called there was something that that what's called that she brought uh, my daughter, and and that's how what's called you know I started opening up very slowly, started opening it up. Mm-hmm. 
my wife also, being from a normal family, um, and me being married after six months, we started living together. And I started discovering that all of the things I've done before in my life, such as drinking early in the morning, were actually not common. Mm -hmm. They were actually, it was very uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it was not common because, again, we used to, 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning with breakfast, have a nice cold beer. We would get ready to go out or go to church. Whatever, whatever the event was, we always drank before we got there. Mm -hmm. And if there was no alcohol to where we were going, uh, we were not there for very long. Mm -hmm. Or we made sure that we were liquored up before we got there. Yeah. Okay? So needless to say, you know, we when, when I married my <laughs> current wife and we started going to different events and there was no alcohol, it was like, and there was no beer with breakfast, because again, that's not common. It was a, it was a little bit of an eye opener. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a different way of living than I had ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it was it was a learning process, and that I slowly started opening up and opening up and what have you. But again, in the back, I still had not addressed the issue, and the issue being my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. My alcoholism. Uh, the way what's called they would describe it in AA groups, it, it, the 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 alcohol is always going to be there. You know, the, the alcohol, the, your alcoholism. I don't care how long you have in sobriety, the alcoholism is always there waiting to get you. Okay, it's like the it's like the 800 pound gorilla that's sitting in the in the in the opposite corner of the room, you know, doing push ups with one handed push ups, just waiting for you to mess up, mm -hmm. and they're back there in your life. We hadn't addressed that issue at the, to that point, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, I had cleaned up a little bit well, and yes, I was still drinking, and yes, what's called, you know, we were, uh, I had it under control, mm -hmm. but the fact that the matter remained, it was still there. I really had not addressed it. And being married after six months, we started living together, uh, started practicing a normal lifestyle within reason, of course, because I was yeah. still drinking. I just wasn't getting out of control. I wasn't mm -hmm. I wasn't being as instructive as before. But of course with time and with being comfortable in our relationship, it just grew more and more and more to where the point was where I was in my first marriage, you know, drinking for three, four days in a row. They got to the point after a couple of years I was doing the same thing in the second marriage. Mm -hmm. You know? Um a year and a half into my second marriage the um, we what's called the my first my second wife realized that maybe I had a little bit of a drinking problem, mm -hmm. okay. And what's called we um, I went I had a little bit of a of a binger. I think it was like a week long. And um, needless to say, what's called you know she um, uh, we had decided to split up, and um, it was like a three weeks or four weeks later that what's called we kind of crossed paths. And we decided to talk things out and decided that what's called maybe the best thing for me was to go into rehab. Mm -hmm. That was uh, exactly, I want to say, 20 years or 19, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when I went to rehab that time, um, again, looking back on it, it's, uh, I, I did so for all the wrong reasons. I did so because I wanted to get the wife back. I wanted to get to my daughter back. I wanted what's called, you know, to have a relationship with my son. I did it for every single reason except for myself, mm -hmm. you know. 
So, and looking, what's called through, going through the process of rehab, um, and this time I did stay for 30 days, mm-hmm. but looking back on it, it did lay down the foundation and it did plant a seed for what's called what was going to be upcoming later on in my life. And in doing so, um, I was able, what's called to again get a little bit of foundation. I was able to get a little bit of sobriety on, on, uh, in me. Uh, I think I lasted at that time six months, which at that point in my, in my life had been the longest I had ever gone without drinking or using for that matter. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, we went ahead um, and got back into the swing of things in regards to being productive, focusing on working, focusing, again, focusing on all the wrong reasons except for what what's called the real cause or the real issue was, was the stuff that I had deep inside me. Mm-hmm. See, every single alcoholic, um, the, the reason why, or at least I, I should speak for myself, the reason why I drank was because I still had resentments. I still had skeletons in my closet. I was not being honest with myself up until that point still. I was not what's called, the, you know, being truthful in all my affairs. And it wasn't, and I, and I, but as long as I didn't drink, and as long as I focused on the immediate family, I kind of overlooked this. Mm-hmm. But this right here played a big part because as long as I didn't have this, address this issue, it was going to rear its ugly head again, which right. it did. Mm-hmm. So as time went by, and again, got complacent, and as time went by, and we looked at, we were looking at what's called, you know, building a life together. And having um, you know accumulating uh, things and what have you, uh, I was never to get really my foot off the ground because again I kept falling back to the same bad habits. Mm-hmm. See, again, I didn't was not addressing my bad habits. I was not addressing my lack of self discipline. I was not addressing again all the issues that I really did have mm-hmm. because again, as long as I didn't drink, everybody else was happy around me. Okay. okay, and I was just trying to make everybody happy. But again, not addressing my issues, which ultimately, again, was going to take me down the path that I was on before. Um, so needless to say, after a couple of years, um, we, what's called, decided, what's, or I, what's called, uh, slowly but surely just started falling back into the same habits. And, you know, the last, uh, I think I was 38, 39, mind you, no longer a kid, mm-hmm. uh, that really what's called started going off the rails. Because whenever an alcoholic... Um, drinks, your alcoholism never goes, in a sense, backwards. It just gets progressively worse. Again, that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. It gets progressively worse, worse. And if you stop drinking for a while, when you start drinking, you you always start drinking at the point that you left off. Oh, okay. Up until that point also, I was 38 years of age. Looking back at my 30 years of life, I probably had, up until the age of 12 or 13, I was sober before then, between the age of 12 or 13, up until the age of 38, had 25 years of drinking history. And in those 25 years of drinking history, probably had my longest period of sobriety was six months. Mm-hmm. And out of those six, out of that, also out of those 25 years, I probably never had accumulated sober time, very little, if, if anything at all. Um, so looking back on it, what's called, you know, also what was happening is that, and I heard this also in, in, in the rooms, is that you never mature as long as you're drinking. Mm-hmm. Because where you started drinking, at the age, you, whatever age you start drinking, you will, that's the, up until the age that you're mature. 
That's why most alcoholics, and maybe I should speak for myself, that's why when I, when I was looking at my maturity level also, my lack of self-discipline, mm-hmm. it was because I started at an early age, never got mature, never made mature decisions. Mm-hmm. And, beca- and because I was, whenever I felt that I was just about to do something good, I always self-sabotage me. Mm-hmm. I always self-sabotage myself. And the reason why is because I knew deep inside that I wasn't worthy of having success. Mm-hmm. I was not worthy what's called of the good things that were coming to, to, to fruition. I was I was never I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop, mm-hmm. and by me what's called always thinking that way negatively you you kind of sabotage you know your own self yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what happened and that's what was happening you know so even though there was there was there was there's signs of promise there was signs of what's called of really being able to get to the next level in all aspects and being what's called getting what's called moving ahead family wise and what have you again it was always that self doubt that always that self-sabotage that because again looking back why would i why do i deserve to have success when i know what a low life i am <laughs> deep down inside mm-hmm. because again i had not addressed the issues that i had up until that point mm-hmm. at the age of 38 what's called i really what's called went off the reservation for lack of a better word mm-hmm. uh what's called really what's called i, I got to i got the attitude that what's called the what what the hell, you know, I was, I was going to, we were going to go run this show and we're going to run this, what's called train off the tracks and how, wherever the hell, the hell it falls, so be it. Mm-hmm. At that time, what's called the wheels really fell off. Um, I was what's called probably drinking three, four days a week. Uh, well, I shouldn't say drinking. I was partying three, four days a week, taking me another four or five days to recover mm-hmm. uh, and then starting the cycle over and over again. And I did that for probably a good year and a half uh, before I stopped drinking. And looking back on it, those were probably some of the loneliest times that I ever had in my life because I know deep down inside, see, it's not just the physical hangover that gets you. Mm-hmm. It's the moral hangover that destroys you morally mm-hmm. or what's called it destroys your soul. And looking back on it, you know, the, the moral hangovers were worse than the physical hangovers. Mm. And when I say moral hangovers, I'm talking about that one more time that you knew you blew it. Mm. You knew everybody's upset at you. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking to you. And when somebody does talk to you, it's to basically shake their head and yeah. tell you what a dick you were the night before <laughs> and what a mess you made and how you had to apologize to everybody that was at the party because you made right. an ass of yourself. It's a shame. Yeah. Exactly. So morally, what's called the hangover, what's called was just getting worse and worse because, again, it was not, you know. And, and deep down inside, I knew that I was not living up to my potential. And that was, again, causing me also, again, to revert back to what I was doing again because I got a case of the fuck it's and I just keep doing the same cycle over and over and over and over again. Um, by that time, uh, before I hit the age of uh, 40, uh, my wife had already filed for divorce. She had already thrown me out of the house. My daughter, what's called, who had been my biggest supporter and my biggest, um, she would defend me to the death, uh, had stopped what's called, in essence, believing in me. My son, what's called, who I who had worked for and got in, into a relationship with and started having him come around again, uh, asked me, you know, what is it that I was doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and dad didn't really want nothing to do with me. Um, my brothers much less, um, and everybody else around me really, you know, I was the guy, I was the guy, I became the guy 
that whenever anybody saw me coming, they kind of like turned around and, oh, shit, here comes Tony. Yeah. So I was not really welcome anywhere, you know. And uh, during one of my last binges, um, I remember what's called going ahead and, you know, sitting there. And I remember it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I had a bottle of whiskey in front of me and uh, other substances. And I was drinking and, you know, doing my other um, extracurricular activities. And I realized that they were not having an effect on me. They were not. And I was halfway through the bottle and halfway through the other stuff. And it was not doing anything for me, mm-hmm. you know. And at that point in time, uh, it's what uh, us alcoholics call, I got a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. I questioned myself, what is it that I'm doing in my life? And, and, and is this the way I want it to end? Because by that time, I was not only morally bankrupt, I was emotionally bankrupt. Spiritually, I was completely bankrupt. Uh, financially, what's called, uh, I was getting close to being bankrupt. And when it came to what's called, um, um, oh, physical. Mm. Physically, the body is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas young people can go ahead and, and, again, because I was young once, can drink at in your teens and your 20s. But as you get progressively older, Overcoming those hangovers physically <laughs> is not the same thing. Yeah. And when you're introducing a lot of other substances into your body, it just compounds the problem even worse. And needless to say, what's called that's one of the things that you know we we're able to. What's called that I, I took a good hard. You know, I questioned myself hard uh, because by that time I had 27 years realistically of hard partying. Mm-hmm. Again, what's called and, I had, and, I, and, and not only alcohol. You know, and I'll be honest, I had tried. By that time, cocaine, speed, uh, what's called a little bit, what's called of, of heroin, and you know, you name it, it had been across the board, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so at that point, what's called, I asked myself the question: Is this the really the way I want to go? Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I remember what's called, you know, um, I, my ex, my wife, uh, called me, and she had what's called uh, just kind of checking up on me to see what's called. Um, because um, even though we were not together, you know, obviously she still cared about me. And she went ahead and reached out to me and, and asked me what's called if I wanted to sit down and talk to her, you know. Mm-hmm. Not, not as what's called, not, not to get back together, not to anything, just to kind of talk and, you know, uh, and see to see how I was doing. And when we got back together, and or we sat down, we talked, and, you know, and she basically asked me, do you, do you want to go to rehab? And... At that time, uh, even though I was no longer living at home, um, I remember what's called, we had our, what's called our, the last money that we have saved. And, you know, and, and I said yes, you know. But, but this time, we had, we had talked and we had stated that no matter what happens, um, I'm, not, I'm, do, I'm not doing it to get back together, mm-hmm. I told her. I'm not doing it for my daughter, I'm not doing it for my son. Uh, I'm just doing it for myself mm-hmm. because I needed to give myself I knew at that point I had reached the end of the, of the road and if I continued going the way I was going not only was I going to be I was either going to be in jail or in the hospital dying one of the two because mm-hmm. that was my only outcome mm-hmm. okay so I went ahead and um, what's called decided to go to rehab and I made the decision and in rehab uh, the second time around uh, what's called my wife and I spent the last the money that we had uh, I think we after we paid for rehab because I didn't have no insurance 
um, I think what's called that we had like five hundred dollars in our in the bank account, and I went out to rehab, and I remember the first night that I was there, um, because I was willing to listen and to try anything at that point because I knew I had no other options. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been able to up until that point in my life always overcome a lot of challenges and hurdles just by winging it or just by getting by or whatever. But I knew that this alcoholism or this addiction, I knew there was no way for me to um, overcome it unless I educated myself and unless I surrounded myself with people that were willing to help me unconditionally get better. The first night that I was there, I, I saw something that I must say completely changed my life. I was in rehab, and up until that point, I had always what's called, you know, I grew up a Catholic, uh, did the altar boy thing, uh, which called went to Mass. Never understood why. I just, yeah. you know, we just go to Mass because our parents tell us because we have to. And um, and did the catechism, First Communion, Confirmation, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was not a practicing alcoholic. Did I believe in God? Of course I did, you know. But up until that point, God was... 10th, 20th, 100th on my list. Yeah. You know, I had other problems I needed to deal with. That night, what's called when I was there, I, I was assigned a room uh, with a young fellow. And this fellow, uh, when I was p- unpacking my stuff and everything else, he came into the room uh, into in front of his bunk, and we were talking. And then, what's called, it was time to go to dinner. And before he, what's called, left the room, he got down on his knees and started praying. Mm. I had never seen, at that point another man get down on his knees in front of another man and ask God to guide him and help him. Mm -hmm. Because that's not what we did when we were growing up. That was a sign of weakness, Mm -hmm. you know, in in our book. And I saw that, and I saw the power that it had. And after he left, because I was embarrassed to do it in front of him, but after he left, I got down on my knees, and I asked God to forgive me, and to guide me. Mm-hmm. Once I what's called prayed and asked him for forgiveness and everything I've done up into my life, I must say it was like a it was like an eight hundred pound gorilla had been lifted from my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that I was not gonna be by myself moving forward. Mm-hmm. I knew that I would no matter what, I was gonna let God what's called carry the weight, uh, and what's called and, and guide me. And all I had to do was follow directions. Okay, and that really laid the foundation for me to start being what's called to to really kind of reconnecting with my spiritual life, because up until that point it was I, again I was spiritually lacking in the scale of one to a, of zero to a hundred I was probably at a ten or twenty of if that mm-hmm. you know. So spiritually, what's called I started laying down the foundation, and I really started listening, going to groups, and growing to what's called counselors, and growing to different people. I really started listening to everybody's experience, and and I and I and for those people that have gone through or, or what's called or have um, a little bit of a, or want to stop drinking, and because I not only going through rehab, you know, you you get the in 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 um, in home what's called care, but part of their their program, any rehab's program really is what's called reaching out, uh, and what's called taking you to AA meetings and what have you. Mm-hmm. When they would take us to AA meetings, um, you know, other people would share, people that had time of being sober. 
And I never, I never listened for the differences of what they were saying. I always looked for the similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, and I remember what's called taking away because I was, I would always hear from other people that were in, in rehab that, well, that person didn't, you know, the meeting was sucked because it, it what's called it really didn't pertain to me, whatever. You get out of a meeting what you put into it, mm-hmm. you know, and all in any meeting in life. Right. And. When I what's called the what's called the started listening to the similarities, I started realizing that I was not by myself. Mm-hmm. There was other people that were just as bad, if not worse, than myself, <laughs> yeah. and were able to overcome what I had, was trying to overcome after being a certain way for twenty-seven years, you know, of, uh, of drinking and using. And I started listening. I started following direction. I started what's called the. Um, I, I stopped thinking. I started getting out of my ego. I started getting rid of the pride. Start, stop being arrogant mm-hmm. um, and started humbling myself and being of service to other people and to other what's called things or anything that needed to be done for me to be stay sober because and I and I made sobriety my number one thing every single day mm-hmm. not work not what's called you know not not uh, not what's called the, my family not anything else not my physical life it was my sobriety. Because all I needed to do and all, because all I heard was, if you're going to stay sober, you just do it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And then when that day is done, you just focus on the next day. Mm-hmm. When that second day is done, all you're going to do is focus on the next day. And if you surround yourself with the right people, you'll grow as a person. You'll have the tools to better yourself. Because in reality, alcoholism, from my experience, has been because most people that drink is for them not to feel certain feelings. Mm-hmm. It's to not what's called experience certain things. We numb ourselves. Mm-hmm. We all do, you know, except some more than others. Yeah. And we've been also as alcoholics, or me myself as an alcoholic, I must understand that I have an allergy of the body, which means that alcohol does different things to me compared to other people. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I envy people, to be honest with you, that can drink one or two drinks and stop drinking. Mm-hmm. My hat's off to them. We're not all built the same genetically. Right. I had to accept the fact that I'm different. You know, I'm different because once I take a drink, I cannot stop at one drink. Mm-hmm. I will continue drinking until the wheels fall off. Yeah. And even to this day, so I just don't drink. I refuse to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back on it, going through that to that period of rehab, again, I I became coachable if they said jump I jumped I didn't question why mm-hmm. as long as it got me to this next step of just staying sober <sighs> coming out of the rehab um, I started what's called also you know, first thing that I did what's called was go directly uh, to an AA meeting and in the AA meeting um, I was welcomed with open arms mm-hmm. I was welcomed as one of them and I was and I put myself out there uh, because they also told me if you wanna if you want to stay sober, you have to be transparent. Mm-hmm. No secret, no more secrets in your closet. And I and I knew that was a good start for me because I had already got, asked God for forgiveness, and He forgave me. And I just knew that as long as I didn't fill that closet up again with skeletons, mm-hmm. I would never have to apologize to anybody uh, or or have resentments or anything else for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I became transparent. I humbled myself. And I started following direction. 
and if they what's called the, anything that was directly uh, kept me sober for every single any the, the given day, I did. Most of us are people, or most people that what's called that decide to that they want to try Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is not for people that just want to try. Right. It's a lot of work involved. Mm -hmm. Because in, in, that, in reality, you're changing all aspects of your life if you really want to be successful in all aspects of life. And you're really what's called, because you're going to have to rebuild back those relationships that you destroyed. You're going to have to build that spiritual life that you were lacking. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to build yourself up physically from all the damage you've done to your body over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And what's called, they're also going to have to build your financial life because I've never met an alcoholic <laughs> that went on a run and that was fine financially after the wheels fell off. Right. I mean, there's financial damage involved also. Mm -hmm. And then those four areas are the ones you got to work in. It's a lot of work and it's continuous work. Mm -hmm. I started learning the tools that I needed uh, to be able to live life on life's terms mm -hmm. because I came to understand also that the reason why the majority of us drink or the reason why I drink also because I didn't understand how to live life on life's terms you know life is beautiful if you make it beautiful mm -hmm. life can suck if you make if that's suck, your, yeah. if it suck you have to what's called you life is what you make of it and this does not mean life is easy mm -hmm. because anything worthwhile requires work mm -hmm. so if you want to have a great relationship great spiritual life great financial life great everything it requires time and it requires consistency and it requires discipline. I started understanding that for me to get to a certain and really fulfill my potential, and notice I'm saying my potential, and that way I can assist or help everybody else around me, mm. um, I needed to follow those steps. I must say that going through the journey, uh, the first couple of years of gain after I was sober, I'm sorry, after I, went, I came out of rehab the last time, um, I didn't miss a meeting for close to two years, mm -hmm. you know. So rain, shine, sleet, snow. I know it doesn't snow in California. <laughs> um, but I never missed a meeting, right. you know. And, and, then, and then even if I was out of the country, I remember I went to a meeting one time in Ensenada. I remember wow. I went to I always found the meeting to go to. Mm -hmm. And every meeting that I went to, it didn't matter if it was, you know, from, from San Isidro all the way up to Hollywood, there was always, I always found the meeting place. Always, and I was welcome with open arms. Because mm -hmm. um, I did go to meetings throughout the course of those first couple of years, San Isidro, Hollywood, Las Vegas, Ensenada. So again, I always made sobriety my, what's called, um, my, my priority. Once I made sobriety my priority, things started falling into place. Those relationships started coming back. Physically, I started feeling a lot better because now I wasn't you know, drunk or destroying my body and everything else. Um, financially, things started falling into place, mm -hmm. you know? And also, spiritually, I was in a very good place because I wasn't lacking, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, when I say spiritually, I don't, because we're all different, and one of the great things about Alcoholics Anonymous is that what's called, they, they allow you, in essence, to, you know, believe in a higher power, okay? What you define as your higher power. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be religion. If religion is your thing, fantastic. Mm -hmm. If religion is not your thing, and you want your higher power to be a pet rock, as long as what's called it, that gets right. you through the day, yeah. so be it. You know, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that turned me. What's called it, that 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 didn't turn me off to AA was the fact that you know you believe in your higher power, whoever or who, how it looks, 
and you believe in that and you move forward with it. Um, those first couple of years, um, I must say it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But looking, again, back on it, I mean, I wish I would have done that 20 years prior, mm-hmm. gotten sober. I've met a lot of great friends that I can honestly call friends because they became friends unconditionally to who I was or what I was or they didn't want anything from me. Mm-hmm. The only desire was for me to be sober. And what's called, and I was able to also lay down a, a great foundation in regards to uh, everything else. And the things that what's called that that also that kept me from sabotaging my own success, such as keeping skeletons in the in the closet. I always make sure that on a daily basis I live my life in a certain way that I never uh, accumulate any skeletons whatsoever. And if I do harm anybody in the words I say or my actions, I make sure to always make amends that same day. Mm-hmm. For all the people that, I've, that have caused damage over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years, past relationships, be it business-wise, be it personal, um, I make sure that as time went by, I reached out to those people and made amends also. You know. And most of the people that I've gone back to years later and made amends to, um, they, you know, because in my mind, I, I always thought that you know they, they were thinking about me because again, my <laughs> ego. Right. When in reality, most of them were just very happy that I was doing better, mm-hmm. you know, and that I was moving on with my life, mm-hmm. that I moved on with my life, and they were happy that what's called that I was on a good track, and I never want not once received what's called anybody that you know that was not happy to see that I was going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, what's called, like I said, I was able to re- make amends as the years go by and really recoup what's called a lot of relationship that I had lost up until then. Mm-hmm. Um, and all and everything in life just started falling together. Now, after a couple of years, uh, what's called, I, um, I stopped going on a daily basis to what's called meetings. Um, now what's called more of a maintenance, what's called a me attending to and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a different uh, per se in the sense that, you know, some people require going every single day, others once a week, others every two weeks. It's, you know, it really boils down to how how much do you actually need it. Right. Um, again, that's been my experience. Um, I've, I've been very blessed and very humbled the fact that, you know, I've, I've accumulated already 12 years of sobriety. Uh, my sobriety day is October 20th. 2007 so last month what's called I hit 12 years mm-hmm. and never my wildest dreams never that I think that sobriety will be as good as it has been and looking back on it it's probably the best thing I could have done in my life because mm-hmm. it's offered so many blessings you know to the point that I'm at now and aside from the financial aspect of it um, just the relationships that we have that I have with my daughter that I have with my son uh, you know, we're best friends, you know, with, uh, with both my kids, uh, the relationship that I still have with my wife, uh, and obviously the relationship that I have with my parents. Um, one of the driving forces in, in what's called in, uh, my alcoholism, and that I swore that I was never going to be like him, uh, was my father, you know. And I must say that before he passed on, he was sober for the last 10 years of his life. Mm-hmm. And at that, I was, and, I, and those ten years coincided with the years that I was sober, also. Mm-hmm. So it was really what's called. We really what's called became best friends. Uh, we really became. We were able to express our feelings with each other, and we really enjoyed. Uh, looking back on it, you know, he had a very good sense of humor. But looking back on it, what's called, you know, we were able to have really good, frank conversations over the years of how we, you know, how everything came about, mm-hmm. and it was really good. You know, like I said, you know, he passed on and. It doesn't go a single day by that I don't remember him. Um, 
And obviously, what's called, like I said, you know, I, I do miss him uh, tremendously. Uh, but looking back on it, I can, I can hold on to the fact that the last 19 years of our life, mm-hmm. we had, a, again, an excellent relationship as, as best friends, you know, not, not necessarily as father and son. Um, and now, what's called, like I said, I just practice what's called, you know, my, my daily, uh, what's called a ritual. I practice all my principles and all my affairs. I tried what's called treat people as they want to be treated. I have boundaries in a sense that I don't, you know, I don't put myself in certain situations that are going to lead me back to that scenario. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I choose to make living amends. You know, today, you know, mm-hmm. I choose to make living amends not only with my kids but also with my mom. You know, who, you know, looking back on it, uh, she didn't deserve what the stuff that I put her through. And um, you know, that's I think that's the best what's called you know that I can do in a sense that you know. For the rainy years of my life, um, you know, just be be of service and be there for whoever needs to be yeah. there. Um, but overall, you know, for those people that that are that think they might not have a problem or think they have a problem, um, you know, I encourage you. What's called, you know, to reach out to somebody that can be uh, of guidance to you and, and just follow instruction. You know, I mean, the the AE program itself. Is a very simple program, mm-hmm. okay? Um, it's just that we as human beings complicate it, right? And it really just requires what's called just to follow certain steps, and no matter what happens throughout the course of the day, just don't drink, because mm-hmm. drinking, from my experience, never solved a damn thing. Made you feel better, yeah. but never solved a damn thing. <laughs> um, so, in Closing in retrospect, uh, you know, um, I strongly, what's called, like I said, encourage that. And like I said, you know, it's been, it's been a good life, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I'm excited about what, what, what's called, what lays ahead as far as uh, where this journey is going to take me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, again, I strongly encourage anybody that, what's called, that, that is going through those steps or, has, or can relate in any way, shape, or form through anything that I went through. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, reach out, uh, you know, because if you think if you're by yourself or you think you're unique in that sense, you're not. There is somebody out there that has the same story as you. And that's what I discovered. Yeah, you know? that's the that's the greatest things about those meetings, because I go to Al-Anon and uh-huh. that's like the sister meeting of AA. But just meeting other people, you get a support system and you realize that you're not alone. You're not in this battle alone. And people have done it before you with similar stories or sometimes story greater than yours, or sometimes, you know, in different areas. But you find relatability with a lot of people. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's really, you know, like I say, so you're never alone and, you know, and you can, there's always support. I've never been to a meeting where what's called where, you know, people are negative or what have you, you know, we always find support, mm-hmm. you know, in one way or another. And it might be just that simple handshake. It might be that, that you know, just a welcome. Um, you know, sometimes that's all we need, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but, you know, I encourage anybody to, what's called reach out and what have you. But again, my story is not unique. Uh, my story, I think, is common in, in all aspects of it, uh, especially coming from a you know Hispanic household, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that's you know again our parents who came to this country first generation or first uh, as immigrants, really had th- didn't know any better, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, we can't fault them for what's called for them doing the best they could in their life. Mm-hmm. And you know, looking back on it, like I say, you know, could we have uh, done things differently and what have you? Yeah, but you know, at the end of the day. You know, we best did the best we could, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all that really, you know, you can ask for. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the next thing I wanted to ask you sure. just to kind of wrap things up. But just looking at a bigger picture, because there's a lot of people like you who grew up in families like yours and like mine that just didn't know any better, mm-hmm. whether it's lack of resources financially, 
mentally, spiritually, or just knowing people that know someone, do you think whether it's government driven or, you know, it's just more talked about, but I feel like alcohol is very normalized in our society Mm -hmm. in TV shows, movies, we never, we we talk about, you know, don't do drugs and we have the programs Mm -hmm. for kids, but they don't really address alcohol. Do you feel like there should be more education around the, because you talked about it, it took a financial toll, spiritual toll, physical toll, everything, it tolls a lot of different areas. Do you think that we should have an organization or something that where we just kind of spread the awareness as a society to different parts of, about the dangers of alcohol? There, there, I feel that what's called, there should be more awareness in that sense, what's called, but you know, you're looking, <clears throat> but looking at the big picture, we... There's a lot of <clears throat> driving forces in regards to, you know, why alcohol is so big, uh, what's called in society, because there's a lot of what's called money's involved, mm-hmm. you know, uh, through government uh, that support a lot of legislation and a lot of lobbyists and what have you that dictate how what's called alcohol laws are. Uh, should there be more outreach and what have you? Absolutely. They really should. Uh, should it be done what's called at a younger level in a sense where... Uh, you know, it could be done maybe at the high school level because most of us get introduced to alcohol really in high school. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that was my experience where I went, you know, really went into to alcoholism. And uh, and from my, what's called also experience, is that most people, what's called, you know, that became alcoholics later on, most of us share the same story that most of us started between the age of 12 to 16 years of age. Right. It's really uncommon for somebody 25, 30 years of age that they started drinking that became an alcoholic, believe it or not, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, should there be more awareness? Absolutely. Uh, should, what is government's role in this? I think government has a conflicting role, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, there is, like I said, great organizations, not only Al-Anon, but also Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that just, you know, just have to have more of the word out. Um, sometimes what's called, they get stigmatized a little bit, uh, that only alcoholics, uh, what's called, they need to go to LA, and I'm oh, sorry, to A. And most of them, <clears throat> we also get AA gets stigmatized in the sense that it's only the, those alcoholics that are the worst of the worst. Right. Well, look, let me tell you from experience. I've sat in meetings where I've had actors that you see on TV, what's right. called the, in meetings. I've had judges, okay, judges, wow. sitting judges, what's called that in AA meetings. I've had what's called you know high ranking or or uh, or high achieving uh, CEOs of uh, major companies sitting on meetings. That I've sat in also, so it affects all aspects of of, of people's life. There's no alcohol does not discriminate. Mm-hmm. Alcohol does not, you know, it's not prejudice or anything like that. Alcohol will treat everybody the same. So I, I think what's called you know most people, uh, you know, and they again they have the perception that unless you're a, a total loser and a, yeah. basically a bum, that that's why you belong in A. Well, mm-hmm. no, it's not. It's not that. You know, it, it can be our neighbors. It can be the guy in front of the street. It can be what's called your coworker. Mm-hmm. It can be anybody that's just going through that that stage in their life, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I do think what's called the, you know they can do a better job. And uh, but I think it's a society we need to do just much better. Uh, alcohol, what's called you know if you stop and think about it, you know we we do what's called also uh, give it more of a free pass because we don't you know a lot of people die because of uh, uh, drunk driving. A lot of people, what's called die, and, and you can also almost consider what's called alcohol a gateway drug to right. leads to other things. You know, I mean, so it, it, and before what's called, like I said, it was, you know, to speaking of other drugs, marijuana, that was considered a gateway drug, but really, you know, again, you know, alcohol is just as much, if not more. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I never tried marijuana, uh, what's called more than maybe five times in my life, just because I didn't like it, and, and uh, I just couldn't stand the, the smell. Yeah. Um, 
but alcohol fit right up my alley, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think, like, yeah, I do agree with you, but at what role, I, that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's a little bit unclear, you know, uh, what could be done. Uh, but in the meantime, like I said, more of an active role in high schools and colleges, make it more aware, um, you know, to do so. Uh, I think that would help out tremendously. And, and again, just but more society where it's, you know, stop being like, for example, and I'm not picking on frat houses in college, but, you know, more of the, you know, of, of the way they view what's called, you know, you know, certain frat houses as being mm-hmm. drunk fest and what have you. Well, you know, I know they do some of them do a lot of good. Uh, but again, it's just that perception. Right. That society throws out there in movies or you know videos or whatever it is that nowadays mm-hmm. social media percent. Yeah, you know? it is a little unclear on how it like, gets solved. It's good to get other yeah. people's opinions on it because, for me at least, with when alcohol really took off, I'd say I mean it's always mm-hmm. been present in my family. Sure. But when it really kind of destroyed my family, mm-hmm. I really hated alcohol and mm-hmm. I really hated everything about it. Now that I'm a lot healthier and have been able to put the focus on myself, which is like a great part of those mm-hmm. meetings too that you were mentioning. Those meetings would be great for anybody because it just helps you work on yourself and strictly stick to your strict stick to yourself. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like a it's kind of like how does it get solved issue, right? Because it's a very comfortable in society. Yeah, you said something also right right here that that's so key, and and I wish it would call everybody would would practice it. Um, AA is not um, um, is not a program designed to help you stop drinking. It really is not. Mm-hmm. Okay. What Alcoholics Anonymous is really is uh, what's called is basically a program to help you live life on life's terms. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that what's called the the twelve step program can really apply to anything else in your life. You know, be it alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, gambling, you name it, any type of addiction that exists. Can, can be what's called the help by a 12-step program. And even, and, and I encourage people, and, and I've had my, over the years, my daughter and my son have gone to meetings also, just sit and listen, and they always get something positive out of it. Because again, the, what's called, it's, it's, a, it's a program designed to assist anybody how to live their life. And I wish more people would take advantage of it. But again, it's stigmatized in that it's only a bunch of drunks hanging out and, mm-hmm. you know, telling war stories. Well, it really is not, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so so I encourage everybody, which kind of, you know, if you do have a little bit of time, you know, hey, there's always meetings, you know. We're li- we live in Orange County. We, we have an overabundance of meetings, um, you know, at all times and all hours, you know, and all days of the week that they can just sit in on and, like I said, get a, yeah, and, you know, what's called really get to know or understand what's called what the program is about yeah. yeah well thanks again really appreciate your time any final words uh you know what the only final words i can say is that you know uh looking back on it what's called it you know it's never too late number one uh to make a change in life you know i got i changed my life when i was 40 years of age um looking back on it i wish i would have done it a lot sooner um i don't what's called uh, i've learned to live life on life's terms i've learned what's called also that you know, not to judge anybody. You know, I'm the last person to judge, mm-hmm. and, I, and I like to live my life in, in what's called in a, in a very simplistic way, uh, because it, it, you know, having peace in your life as you go along, it, it just you know, it's so much easier way to live, mm-hmm. and and really, what's called you just taking care of oneself, uh, because you know, we we if, if we look at the big overall picture, um, we're only in, we're only in this world for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And yes, what's called, we might think that, you know, um, we have all the time in the world, but time is a commodity that we cannot buy more of. Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to live life 
treat others with respect, treat the others well. Um, for those of you what's called that have uh, their relationships, you know, treat your other, what's called the partner well. Uh, to us, they obviously, all of us that have parents, treat them with respect also. You know, looking back on it, I think um, one of the things that what's called I wish I would have done a little bit different, but I am making living amends is just treat my mom better, you know, mm-hmm. take care of her. And, um, and with my kids, like I said, you know, just be what's called the example. Um, for, those of, for those of us that have kids, be the example that you that you would like for somebody to be to you, mm-hmm. um, because you know no matter what um, you know especially those of us that have kids, uh, kids are always looking at us. You mm-hmm. know even when we think we're they're not, they're always looking to see what we do and how we act, and how how, how do we react to certain things, mm-hmm. and that's you know um, really what's called what, um, what we want to better ourselves at, and um, yeah you know just be good to yourselves. Uh, be good to one another, like I said, and um, you know I wish everybody the best of luck. Okay, then thank you, Noah, so much for you know for asking me to speak. I what's called I, I think I, I ran over time or what have you, no, but no <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, but I, I do thank what's called like I said having the time to share my story and mm-hmm. you know if anybody can relate to it, like I said, if I help one person, I I think I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So so thank you very much, appreciate it. Okay. Well okay. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. It's been a very enlightening conversation with Tony and I surrounding alcohol in the family. And if you know anyone that is also going through a similar struggle, wish them the best of luck. And, you know, be sure to uh, share the podcast with them, too. Maybe it's a source of encouragement or sense of uh, enlightenment for them. You never know how much this podcast or this episode may help them. So really appreciate you guys. Don't forget, this podcast can be found on Apple, can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and all sorts of platforms where you can listen to podcasts. So be sure to check those out. Leave a rating and review if you're listening on Apple. Be sure to subscribe or follow. Just share us with your friends. Really appreciate any support of the podcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. Follow me on Instagram at Noha underscore Alvarez. And be sure to follow the My Mike and I page on Instagram at my period Mike and period I. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into the show. Thanks again to Generic Sports for producing the instrumental going on in the background. I'm Noah Alvarez, the host of the My Mike and I podcast, signing off. Till next time.